Hello, and welcome to yet another podcast. I'm Josh Kaplan, and with me is Leah Delore. We use an approach called Lean Coffee to engage in agendaless time box discussions centered around software engineering. Here's how it works. We brainstorm topics, cast our votes, and those with the highest votes get discussed first. Each topic gets a dedicated five-minute discussion, and when time's up, we vote. Do we delve deeper for another five minutes or jump to the next topic? So grab your coffee and let's get started. So our top two are NoSQL and database design and Agile. All right. And then below that, we have micro front-end slash front-end frameworks. All right. So what we'll do is I'll need to set up a timer on my phone. And what we'll do is we'll do five minutes on a topic. And then if we're like in deep, interesting discussion at the end of the five minutes, we can choose to like extend it for another five. Yeah. Okay. Um, so with that, do you want to start with the database stuff or agile stuff? Um, let's ease in with agile just because I All feel right. like it's, it's an easier, broader topic to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to, let's, we're going to move agile to in progress and I'm going to kick off the timer. Um, all right. Any initial thoughts you want to kick off with? Or you want me to give one of my many agile rants? I, I say you go ahead. In my head, I started thinking about like how I use agile today, like talking about those. Yeah. So I, things, I think but... this conversation will get there and evolve yeah. into us talking about like specific agile techniques. Uh, the, the first thought in my head is, is agile more broadly, right? Um, where, you know, we're teaching this either to like students or early career engineers. And I feel like I've encountered a lot of people that don't understand the value or the purpose of agile, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And are, are kind of being told to go through the motions. Yeah. Right? Like we have a daily standup because somebody told us to do a daily standup. We do sprint yeah. planning because we were told by leadership, we need to do sprint planning. Yeah. Right? And that there are a lot of anti-patterns that a lot of teams fall into a lot of teams, right. That <clears throat> tend to be, I think there's a lot of common anti-patterns. Uh, yeah. and I think, but I think they stem from this root cause of not understanding the purpose. Right. So yeah. like a, a really frequent one is like daily standup is about sending status updates to somebody. Like I encountered yeah. this with a team recently where, you know, the scrum master couldn't make it to stand up that day. So we're going to cancel stand up. Everybody please email the scrum master, your status. Like that defeats the whole purpose. So yeah, if we go back to agile, um, like core agile values, right? The, the agile manifesto stuff of like, you know, the first thing in the agile manifesto is individuals and interactions over processes and tools. And so something like a daily standup is specifically designed to address that by creating frequent communication among the team. It's yeah. not a status update. It's a way to get individuals interacting. Yeah. It's funny because I remember my first encounter with hearing the word agile was actually, it, <laughs> it was, well, actually it was in college. It was, was it? in one of my, yeah, it was in one of my classes. My teacher um, was teaching and he was a little bit older and he said that he hated agile and that it was very bad and that we should do waterfall and waterfall was the way to go with anything that we were doing moving forward. Um, and it's funny to now be in the shoes that I'm in today and be like, oh, I use agile 
every single day at my workplace like <laughs> I, i've actually given a lot of talks to people like both in professional settings and in academic academic settings um and i've done this as a lecture in academia about how waterfall and agile are not mutually exclusive and mm -hmm. in fact waterfall the term waterfall comes from there's an original paper from i want to say the 70s but I, i've apparently gotten the date wrong on this many times in the past um and it shows that that kind of waterfall like sequential diagram and if yeah. we ever get to a point where we have a podcast website and like put up show notes and stuff i'll, I'll put this stuff there um yeah. but it's that first the first diagram shows like okay you start with requirements and then you do design and then you do implementation and then you like test it and the paper goes on to say this is not realistic <laughs> you will get to testing and find out you did things wrong and maybe you need to go back and revisit requirements or revisit implementation and it actually shows further diagrams with feedback loops and that has just completely gotten ignored <laughs> but you know we talk about this stuff at it's at, at what scale are those feedback loop loops at? yeah and i think that's yeah. the difference between i i think it's ignorant to say waterfall doesn't have those feedback loops but when we talk about yeah. modern agile i think we're talking about much faster feedback loops. We're talking about like, I've written a hello world program. Now let me write the one API that returns hello world. Great. Yeah. Deployed. I've tested my CI CD pipeline. I know how to deploy it. Great. Now let me not make it say hello world, but let me return a blank JSON object and make sure my headers are right. And like, yeah. I, can, I can literally iterate and get feedback at that level of granularity. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I feel like looking at it now like from just the experience that i've had it's like there's a combination of both and whatever you are doing like mm -hmm. sometimes you're going to need certain requirements in a waterfall system before you can start even iterating on it so yeah <laughs> so i i agree right and i, th I think when you talk about agile and i totally am going to want to extend this time if you're up for it um yeah but i i think um too many people try to do a one size fits all solution or like they follow scrum verbatim or they follow, you know, yeah. whatever framework. All right. That's my timer going off. I'm going to set another five minutes if you're up for that. Yep. I'm all up right. for it. Um, and I, I think one of the things to keep in mind, like I, I like scrum. A lot of people don't like it because it's really structured. Um, yeah. I, I find that the practices tend to align with the agile values. And if you're doing them right and not just going through the motions, they are really useful. Mm -hmm. um, but I find that a lot of teams tend to blindly go through those practices. Like we're planning because somebody said to plan, right? And we're not taking the time to do good like story point estimation or the other way around, right? We're told to do estimation. So we're down at the level of like, what are you spending time on this afternoon, right? And like yeah. every little detail. And sometimes that works for some teams and sometimes it doesn't. And I think teams frequently forget about, you know, take the these things that are best practices and figure out how to adopt them to your team figure out what is and isn't working what does and doesn't work within the confines and the of, of your organization and the needs of your organization yeah. right and and learn how to adapt that like a, a really common problem i see is like people do retrospectives and aren't talking about how they're applying their agile processes or, or how they're operating as a team they're talking about like oh hey cool you got that feature done or we had a bug that was a problem like those are not good topics for retro. Like they're useful, but technical yeah. postmortems are different from team retrospectives. Like yeah. team perspectives are about how you operate as a team. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, to be honest, from recent experiences that I have had, 
um, that the like the retrospectives have been so immensely helpful in understanding your team's dynamic if people are even happy working on your team and also letting our leadership know like what we need from them like i feel like because what i have done in the past is where we basically put it all into this board and we send it bi-weekly after our sprints are done to our leadership and we're like hey these are things that we're not happy about right now and things that like we can change as a team in certain ways yeah yes exactly so let me, um, let me pick your brain on that for a second, because yeah. I think this is something that in a really good team culture with like high psychological safety, especially with leadership that can work really well. Yeah. I know there's also a concern and one of like one of the guidelines in things like Scrum is like management is not involved in retro, right? Yes. Because you want to create a safe space for the team to, to bring stuff up. And so it's, it sounds to me like you're taking, you're creating that safe space for the team and then providing filtered aggregate feedback to management that says this is the consensus of the entire team post retrospective right as opposed to be like john said you know so and so sucks right yeah um, and, no, and yeah. there's a really careful balance there because it is like if it doesn't make its way back up to leadership things can't change yeah right? depending on yeah. where you know where in the hierarchy those decisions get made yeah no so we we have we kept it anonymous like like the leadership wouldn't know what it was um but we we did allow people to put their thoughts in whatever it may be and then but people would like upvote it so like there's this like button so and i send that as well to the leadership i would send that as well so it would be like five people plus like i'd say plus five on this specific topic so then you okay. would know like that's an actual issue as compared to right, if there was just they, one. Like here's how much team consensus there was on that topic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that that's that's awesome. Cause I've I've definitely seen like the other end of that spectrum where like there is overbearing management that is like, I want to see your retro notes. And I'm like, I don't think that's gonna get people to be open during retro. Right. Yeah. Um in that in that case I had a team where people like absolutely were not being open and we were yeah. trying to take a very poor psychological safety environment and, and remedy that, which is once you lose that, that level, that like trust within the team and that safety, like it's very hard to rebuild that. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Um, and it's hard to, cause it, it still is something that is going up to leadership that you're like, okay, like, is this okay for me to say, but you say it with the team. Cause we have a meeting, you would have a meeting and you say it within the team and then everyone can be like, yeah, I agree or like we can word finesse it to make it like more professional. Right, right. If, so. if what came up privately in retro was like, this senior manager is being a mean person, right? Yeah, like yeah. this senior manager is being an overbearing micromanager, right? Like yeah. that might not be the way you want to phrase that when you try to give that person the feedback. Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. Cool, well, we are 10 seconds shy of time on that. So okay. let's call it and let's move on to the next thing. Sounds, Sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. All right. No SQL and database design. Okay. <laughs> Timer starts now. <clears throat> um, all right. So there's a lot to talk about here. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I think we're starting in this first pass of this with like really broad topics and we'll, we'll get 
like super specific in future iterations of this, I think. Yeah. But, you know, we obviously you and I have talked about NoSQL and mm -hmm. database design yeah. a lot yeah. for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure where I want to, where I want to go with this conversation. Right. But I, I think, I think one of the premises is like, there are a lot of different data stores out there that have different purposes and different benefits. Yeah. Um, I think one of the common patterns we've encountered um, is people using NoSQL data stores like SQL databases, right? Yeah. Um, and, and vice versa. versa. <laughs> yeah, and vice versa to some extent. Like, I need JSON data, so let me stringify this JSON data and put it in a field in my SQL database, yeah. right? Which, which really defeats the purpose of, you know, having JSON data that you now like can't query, right? Like if, yeah. you, haven't, if you haven't broken that down into different columns, you either can't index on a specific data field or you can't query on a specific, you definitely can't query on a specific field at that point. Yeah. And so unless you have like a JSON blob, that's like some sort of configuration object that like you never need to query on, you're like, I need the configuration for this asset or something, yeah. right? You're querying on a different field. I could see where that could make some sense, yeah. but you're definitely not leveraging the tools at your disposal. Yeah. Well, it's um, actually funny you say that because I actually have personal experience in that specific topic. <laughs> like yeah. I created a configuration specifically for certain types of items in an application and I stringified that object as it was like a huge JSON blob, stringified mm -hmm. it. But it's not something I ever needed to query on because it was something that kind of gave a setup configuration. So it was something that got stored that was only for like managing the placement of displayed items. Right, and and well, in something like that, right, you get into this weird case of like, well, what if you do need to query on it? What if that changes, yeah. right? Yeah. So I imagine a situation where you're like, you've got some sort of configuration for, you know, VMs or deployed machines or instances in an application, I don't know, whatever, right? And now all of a sudden you're doing that across like thousands of machines. Yeah. And you're like, I need to go get all the machines that are still running Red Hat 6 yeah. and update them, right? Yeah. Like, it might be really useful to be able to query on that. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's an arbitrary example. But, you know, so the scenario of, like, I'm going to stringify my, my JSON data and put it in the database as a string field, what happens if that changes and you now need to do something? Like you now need to either like normalize the data, move to a NoSQL data store. You actually have to change some stuff and then you have to either do it across all of the objects in the database and do yeah. like a big all at once migration or do that incrementally and introduce logic into your code that says, well, if, if it's using the new configuration mechanism, then grab that. And if it's using the old one, grab that. And yeah. you have to design this deliberate transitional architecture. Yeah. So actually the way that I had resolved that was that each item itself, though it had the initial grab of the configuration, it would still, one, it mapped to that configuration, but two, it also held its own like config on its on that item itself. So like there was like a field related that it would like held almost a similar kind of JSON, but not the exact configuration per se. Um, and on, and we would be, we had thought that like, oh, we would just have like a, a new version. So like, if there was something that we needed to change, which doesn't happen often, we could create a new version 
of that configuration in the database and relate it to all of the new ones going forward, but all the old ones are still related to the old configuration that's in the database. Okay. That being said, I don't disagree with you. I think that I, I should have probably gone with a JSON object in like, I mean, it was a MySQL database, so I probably could have gone There's no that reason if, if, if it's, especially if it's a flat JSON object, there's no reason you can't convert that into a table. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a million ways you can do that, right? Or you can you can take nested fields and use like underscores to indicate nesting or dots or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, yeah there's a bunch of ways to tackle that. Yeah. Um, it's actually sorry, ironic because this goes back to our conversation prior, where um, there was someone that wanted to have NoSQL data in I our. I assume you want to continue this for yeah. another five. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there was a a person that wants to like do NoSQL database in the MySQL database. And um, now that I'm thinking back on that situation way back when, I, it, it was the same same thing that had happened where they yeah. were like, hey, no, you should do a MySQL. Uh, you should do NoSQL in the MySQL database. And now I'm like, well, why? <laughs> well, can I, can I shift our gears the other direction and talk yeah. about people that use NoSQL databases like SQL databases? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you, you will recall um a, a team that you and i worked with way back when uh that that didn't like our choice of mongodb because they felt that it wasn't going to scale adequately and yeah. um you know the, the i think the, the common complaint was like population is really ineffective in mongodb it's really slow and it's like i i, I didn't really have the 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 depth of knowledge or the the tools to argue that point at the time very well yeah. um and, and you know looking back on that and knowing what i do now right like, yeah, it is slow. Like Mongo is not really designed for that. It can do it. You can do populations. It's not quite as effective as a SQL join. Um, but if you're designing your schemas right, you need a lot fewer tables. And so you're not mm -hmm. doing populations and joins. And yeah. I think the really common problem is that people take a, a database like MongoDB and they create glorified tables, right? They create these really flat yeah. JSON structures. They create other flat JSON structures and they relate them to one another. You yeah. know, by yeah. by like foreign key references and everything is done through populations, which are the Mongo's equivalent of joins and, and it becomes slower and inefficient. And, you know, to me, the whole point of using like a, a JSON document store is that like you can take a thing and store everything you need about that thing in the one object, right? You and I had this discussion at length, right? With yeah. the, the ordering system that we were working on, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, we had this, orders and order line items and and there was this debate of whether or not to have them be separate collections in mongo and treat them more like a sql relation versus you know have these nested objects and i'm i'm curious for your perspective now now that that's implemented and i know you're working on the back end of that right now right yeah. um well even though the queries are maybe a little bit more unintuitive than mm -hmm. you know versus you know what you're accustomed to in sql whether or not the new data structure is actually you know the, the aggregate data structure is better than working with multiple tables especially when we have like a lack of transactions in NoSQL databases yeah but i mean to be honest i i don't know <laughs> i still don't know i feel like but i i can say that for the purposes of the project that we're working on for that, it makes sense to have it all in one table. And it like, I feel like intuitively, obviously it's like just me and you 
like touching yeah. that stuff so it's like I know I, I it's not like a lot of people are in there so I feel like it makes sense um well and I, for, for me I, I will say on that that was one of the big drivers for me was that it's it was more debuggable yeah than yeah. having to go do queries across multiple tables to figure out what's going on right yeah. when I wanted to see like oh something's wrong in this order I can I only have to pull up one record and investigate one order and I, I found that to be faster and easier to identify problems and fix them yeah no and that uh, honestly yeah i would agree because like it does get really convoluted i mean from my past work that i've had it can get really convoluted in my sequel like it can get like there's data there's tables that are related and like some people when they created tables they didn't necessarily name them intuitively so that i'm trying to right, and changing that in a in a strongly structured schema database like sql you know my sql right is really hard to go back and change those fields yes yeah i agree and like so it's it makes it way more difficult to like if there is an issue and there are so many tables and you don't understand the architecture fully it can cause a lot of like issues trying to figure out that bug and where it is because yeah. um like so yes i 100 percent agree with you at the same time though i find that i do find a lot of benefit in having multiple tables at some times because sometimes it's like maybe i don't need all of this data maybe i'm just looking for this one thing on this like one table it does like narrow it down for me to be like oh like i know where to look i know what i'm looking for like but that being said that's like i know i know that stuff like i'm very comfortable with that right now so i feel like that's also like the mindset of it as compared to like, I'm not as familiar with NoSQL, so. Yeah. No, it, all right, there's our time. All right, I think <laughs> that's a topic we're gonna get way deeper into over time and like get into like specific nitty gritty subtopics. Yeah. Um, but for now, I like this time box thing because that keeps us from going on too, on too, too. crazy of a tangent. Micro front ends or GraphQL? Ooh. I'm going to vote for front ends. Okay. And here's why. Okay. And I'll tell you when I kick off the timer. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk about front ends first because this feeds nicely from the database conversation where we talk about how should my front end behave? Right. Yeah. And let that drive my API access patterns, which then in turn drives some of my schema choices. And I think there's a whole category of discussion that maybe is off scope here. So I don't want to yeah. go too deep there, but I think that's a topic in and of itself where like, do you design your database schemas and then basically work your way towards the front end, right? Which I've, I've worked with a lot of people that are like, oh, well, let's figure out our table structures and then let's figure out our API and then let's figure out how the UI is going to call yeah. it versus should we design our user experience? Think about how we want to get the data yeah. so that we're not doing a ton of logic on the front end, right? The, the, the front end is really about displaying the data yeah. and having some logic to display that data. Then we design our API to support the front end needs, right? And this is going to feed into the next topic as well, right? Um, and then we kind of go, well, what data do we need on the back end, right? Do we use a SQL database and transform that into the JSON structure we want? Do we use Mongo? in a completely different format and transfer that, <laughs> translate that, or do we try to keep our like Mongo schemas aligned with our API schemas so that there's minimal translation happening? <sighs> this is a, this is a uh, heavy topic. I feel like that we can go into a lot so, of that. <laughs> so to keep it on topic, right? The topic is 
micro front ends and front end frameworks and just just front end in general. Yeah. Right? So and, and so so let me let me back that up to, to one of the points I just okay. made and get your your yeah. thoughts on this, which is how much logic should happen on the front Oof. end? Oh God. Um, I mean, so it very much varies. I think. I think that having there's always going to have to be logic. There's always going to be something. That being said, if because there's like display logic, yeah. right? Like I want the thing to be this color yes. if this field is true. Exactly, exactly. But when it comes to the actual data, like if you are one hard coding data into your UI, I think that's an awful like practice to do personal preference mm -hmm. because I, unless it makes sense, there's some scenarios that it might make sense, but most of the time you don't, I feel like it doesn't make sense to hard code data. Um, and two, if you're like changing or trying to configure something to like, like if you're doing business logic to put the data, put the data into the database, I feel like that almost should be on the API. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that's generally like both both from a security and a reliability standpoint. I think the general like, and I realize this is a bit subjective, but the general rule of thumb would be, if you're doing stuff that manipulates data, especially for writing data, yeah, that should happen on the back end, yeah, right. And if you're doing things that are about how do I display that data, should that should happen on the front end. Yeah. Now there, I think there's a there is there are are some exceptions to that, which is like, if you're doing something that's like reasonably computationally heavy yeah and but like but doable from somebody's browser and you've got like 20 million users it makes a lot of sense to offload certain logic to the browser yeah yeah i would agree certain logic, yeah. right because you can you what if you can offload us like a certain operation to the browser you know and do it securely and safely and all of that um and you've got you know 20 or 100 million users uh there's a lot of scale you need on your back end to support that. Yeah, but then I would also say you probably have to do that too on the front end, potentially. Well, the front end runs in their browser though, right? So like you're you're sending them the code. Like, I don't know. Let's let's say that code is like I have to compute a hash. I don't know. I'm doing some client based Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. But like, I'm I'm doing some function that's like reasonably computationally expensive. Like, all right, you and I both have a mathy and physics background. Yeah. I'm doing matrix math. Matrix math is parallel. Some of it's parallelizable, but depending on what you're doing, matrix math can be very meh, yeah. right? Yeah. It can be very computationally difficult. Uh, and so to do that on a backend, especially like you end up using GPUs and parallelizing stuff and things like that. So if I'm doing like, if I'm doing something like multiplying matrices, like I've got a microservice that multiplies matrices. Doing that on my back end for like a hundred users, right? If I have to scale up to like 10, 10 cores per user to make that happen fast, and I've got a hundred users, right? I need a thousand cores. Yeah. If I'm if I want to like respond to a hundred requests at once, yeah. um, in a in a timely fashion. On the other hand, if the majority of my users have a multi-core processor, and <laughs> that's my time. Let's keep going. All right, I'll extend that one too. Uh, Maybe we need 10 minutes. All right. No, no, time boxing is good. This is going to help us. Um, all right, long story short, if I can offload that to the user, that's stuff that I don't need to scale, right? Yeah. So then my backend can stay at a whole like 
three core machine, right? And all I can let it be a tiny bit slower, but let that happen on the front end. And I think, you know, you can get into some really, really funky performance optimization and the larger your product and your team, the harder that is to do because like change, if like you've got separate teams building your front end and your back end, deciding to like move that logic from one place to the other becomes a lot harder organization. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And I can, I can see your point. Um, to, to go back to your original question to kind of side tangent, since I know we only have yeah. five minutes. Um, I have had a lot of random, I've had a lot of experience of people saying that you should always do the data first instead of doing like the UI. Like sometimes I feel like I've had differing opinions. My own personal opinion is that the user experience specifically for a web application is going to inevitably define some of your data structure. Like that's just kind Mm -hmm. of like there's certain ways that might be a little bit easier to create the data structure as compared to just ignoring the user. Like I can make something. Even even the in-between phase, right? Like how frequently are you changing? Like if you're using a REST API, right? We'll we'll talk about GraphQL (laughs) in a minute, but like, um, you know, think about what we're doing uh, with the project we're working on right now, right? You identify like we need to do this thing in the user interface. We don't really have an API endpoint that supports that easily from the front end. Now we need to change that. Like it's the UI and the user experience that's driving certain API choices. Yeah. I think, and, and I think there's a difference between an API that's consumed by your UI primarily and not really intended as like a developer API. Yes. Yeah. Right. Versus like an API for a tool like, you know, Jira, right. Yeah. Where it's like very much used for integration development yes. and like other developers are calling that external. Yes, I 100% agree. And I think that there is a combination too of like having having some of the, and like it's, I feel like it sounds bad when you say the UI is defining the data structure because I almost feel like that's not the status quo. It's not defining, driving. driving. I, think there's a, I think there's a difference. Yes, because I feel like there's, it's a combination of like, you don't want exactly what the user's doing to define, or that like you don't want which is exactly what you're saying with the driving. You don't want it to be exactly what the user interface is doing to define how the data is going to le- going to live in your database, but it can help like create that structure along with creating it as, you know, that's the first thing that you should do is create that structure so that you can have a good data structure in general. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's tough because like as the user needs evolve, right? Your API needs might evolve, which means your data structure needs might evolve. Yeah. And that's why like, I realize we're kind of getting off topic from the, the main card, like topic yeah. card here, but <laughs> you know, um, like for me, that's why one of the most frequent things I do is when I'm designing stuff like that, one of my biggest priorities is always designing a system to support change yeah. because it's very rarely do you know exactly what you need. I like yeah. the the only way I would optimize where where change wouldn't be a priority is if we have a system that's been built, effectively a prototype, but like a production prototype. Mm-hmm. It's been in use for a while. It's not changing. We've established a pattern that works. Now we should rebuild it, rearchitect it, and optimize for performance. Now that we know that yeah. change is unlikely. Yeah. So I guess on the original topic yeah. card. We only have like a minute left here. Um, I don't even want to get into micro front ends because that's that's a whole 
like rabbit yeah. hole that we can talk about later. Um, front end frameworks. I'll just throw out um, I love React. So any React lovers out there? <laughs> yeah, I feel like we went way off topic on this we card, did. but I, I want to hit that topic again at some yeah. point. Yeah. Should we throw it back in the? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll throw it back in the in the not quite done. Yeah. <laughs> So you and I have talked about this topic a lot. Um, you have a lot more experience with GraphQL than I do. I've used it more as a consumer of GraphQL APIs. I've mm -hmm. dabbled in it a little bit. Um, what are your thoughts? I love GraphQL. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> I, I think that it is when used right, because there are ways that you can use it incorrect and it could potentially affect performance like well, can, had can, that you talk, can, you, can you talk about like the anti-patterns in graphql yeah so the first one that comes to my mind is like you know mysql with a graphql instance like if you were to grab nested tables from graphql um you want to be making sure that like you're not doing like a select star for both tables and then sending that back to GraphQL to parse it out. Like that's right. Like your your select your select that you're doing to your SQL database should be based on what the user actually asked for. Yes. Otherwise, you're retrieving more data than you need to, which defeats half the point. Yes, exactly. Like the purpose is for you to utilize GraphQL to you know enhance the things that you're grabbing along with um with the format of it too i mean like is, the json query is there an increased likelihood of query injection and stuff like that or how well um, do like graphql libraries defend against that i guess that's a really good question i don't actually know the answer and i'd love to dive like maybe into what that that is that's, i that's blog post worthy yeah, I don't see. Yeah, that's a. I I agree. I should write a blog about that. But I have not seen a lot of possibility for injection, unless because I mean, that again. That being said, that's almost like an anti-pattern because you still have to like account for you know the users. Right. You're, tr you're are you trusting too much in the tools and not actually like verifying yourself as an engineer as the the person responsible for the system. Are you verifying that that's not a problem? Yeah, right? exactly. And I know you and I have talked about it. Like one of my concerns with GraphQL is similarly, right? If you're not careful with your logic there, because the tools are doing a lot of heavy lifting for you. Yeah. If you're not careful, it's really easy to like expose data you didn't intend to expose. Like yes. things that are related, uh, for, for example, right? Suppose I want to grab fields from like a user, right? Yes. And I blindly allow GraphQL to query on any field that is in the user's table. Mm -hmm. including say like a password hash field right yeah. yeah like it would be really easy to accidentally expose that if i'm not explicitly putting in the logic that says you can get this and this and this but not this yes well and that brings me to like because i yes i 100 percent agree with you and i've had both experiences where like i think that there I, at one point i was doing it where like you could definitely have injection stuff uh and like have that hurt your application um now which i think i've mentioned to you like we use we have used like in the past nest.js and prisma and i feel mm -hmm. like looking at even like just the data and the way that we can format it we can like hinder people from grabbing certain things we can 
um we can also like see like them putting in the parameters to like enhance that graphql call to be exactly what you would expect like like those two um frameworks that i've used do enable proper use of graphql in a way that i didn't have to think about it before but now i see the differences and like it allows me to be like oh okay this was bad how what we had written and now like it, it's a little bit better with those frameworks yeah and and shifting gears slightly here right so forgetting about the back end let's talk about the big upside of graphql right which yeah. is you know we talked a minute ago about access patterns the whole premise of one of the things that makes it useful is that you don't have to de define all your access patterns up front, right? Yeah. If you want to, on the front end, query stuff differently or query, you know, a different structure or something like that. Um, so, you know, you, you then have this ability on the front end to, to change that without having to make major changes on the back end. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Cool. All right, well, I think we're just about at time on that one. Let's not extend all of the topics.